SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. Guns red, despite all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in they rip you to pieces. Welcome to Sequel Cast. Sequel Cast is a podcast where we look at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hey! And this time we are checking out a, a new franchise for us. We're kicking off a look at Jaws with the original film simply titled Jaws. Uh, our theme song is by written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. Check out more Sequel Cast episodes at sequelcast.com. And Sequel Cast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out more fun movie podcast at um, battleshippretension.com. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, Jaws. It came out in 1975 based on the book by Peter Benchley. The book came out one year before in 1974. Directed by Spielberg. Starring Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Lorraine Gary, and Murray which, Hamilton. Which Spielberg? Leonard Spielberg? Gary Spielberg? Uh, Shecky Spielberg. <laughs> Hi, kids. I'm Shecky Spielberg. I hope Hi. you're ready for some comedy. Oiga Film Vault. <laughs> that's, that's that's pretty. We've just handed. invented a new character. He's gonna have to make re- more appearances. Yeah, uh, throughout the show. Good old Shecky Spielberg. Um, music by John Williams. Cinematography by Bill Butler. Um, you know, off a budget of nine million. This grossed, and um, let's see, uh, worldwide, this grossed $470 million. So, the return of its investment. This was an expensive film at the time, off a budget of $9 million, believe it or not. And and yet, that wouldn't even pay for a movie's marketing these days. That wouldn't even pay for um, Taylor Lautner's lunch on Twilight 6 for one day. It wouldn't day. pay for the teaser trailer that they fling around. No, it might pay for uh, one of his fluffers for three hours, I think. So, now that our mind has gone straight to the gutter, Jaws, uh, when did you first see this? You know, I'm not sure. Jaws Jaws was so ever-present growing up in the 80s that it's one of those movies that I feel like I have always have had seen. Uh, the, the first time I'm, I'm truly conscious of seeing it from beginning to end uh, was actually – uh, in uh, actually in high school, I was staying the night over at my friend Mark's place, and just low. Oh no, no, it wasn't that. Uh, it was it was uh, my friend uh, Mark. My friend Mark was getting his first car, which was his father's old car. But his father lived in uh, Minnesota, so we flew out to Minnesota together, spent the week uh, with his father's uh, family, and then drove that car back to Virginia. And while we were 
like the night before we left, we were just bored. Nothing's going on. And his father had satellite or something. And boom, Jaws starts. I'm like, fuck this. We're watching Jaws. We just like got out some popcorn, turned all the lights out in the basement. It was it was amazing. And you got to watch it from the beginning that way? Yep. Okay. I mean, um, I've, seen, I've seen it several times. That's just the first yeah. time I'm consciously aware of having seen the whole film. Right. I'd seen it before. I'd seen parts and possibly all of it before, and I've seen parts and possibly all of it after, later. Hmm. I, my dad showed me Jaws. Um, I think I was in middle school, maybe, and <laughs> watching it. You know, early in the film, they catch a shark that's not you know the main shark, and I thought, well, this is quite a short movie, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it keeps on going, of course, and we'll we'll get into that. But that's what I I remember watching it more. The first time, and we got some fun comments from uh, listeners about Jaws over at our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast, which we'll be talking about later in the show. So, uh, along those lines, I think of Jaws, and I was doing some research. The uh, the recent Blu-ray and the various DVD releases have had several excellent documentaries on there, um, one of which is actually ported from the Laserdisc way back. Really? And and they mentioned some of the original casting that Spielberg wanted. He had a real tough time, you know, figuring out who to have as uh, as the lead in the film. And um, he literally met Roy Scheider at a party, liked him in the French Connection, and said, I'm really looking for a guy to play a lead in my new movie. And, um, you know, he offered it, he pitched the movie and offered it to him, to Roy Scheider at a party they both were at. Believe it or not. And, um, you know, the part of uh, Matt Huber, played by Richard Dreyfus. guess who Spielberg wanted for that originally? What the hell Harrison Ford? John Voight. Huh. As a nerdy scientist. I know it's, it's tough to picture anyone other than who was actually in the movie. But, and uh, instead of Robert Shaw as Quint... Originally, Spielberg had Lee Marvin in mind. I can totally see Lee Marvin in mm-hmm. that role. Sounds like Dr. Zoeberg to me, but okay. The Lee Mar- Have you ever heard Lee Marvin? Not not recently, no. He talks very slow, and he talks like he's got a wet napkin in his mouth. But he was like a real like hard-ass actor, though. He played real hard-ass, tough characters, right? Oh, oh, yeah, and he, yeah, was, he yeah. was all over the Westerns. Although, if you want to hear him sing, and, and to his credit, he does sing, check out uh, Paint Your Wagon. Clint Eastwood sings in that as well. Well, he attempts to sing. That's the one thing, is they got all these iconic Western stars to do the movie, but they didn't check to see whether they could sing first. For whatever reason, within his range, Lee Marvin actually has a pretty decent singing voice, uh, which kind of is a miracle. Uh, and he has that song about gold. Yeah, um, you know, Jaws is uh, is not a musical. Although... yeah. We we I could see a Jaws musical, not necessarily a good one, but uh, I can't think of Jaws without thinking of the classic Saturday Night Live bit, Land Shark. Oh yeah, which Chevy Chase crashing a party dressed as a land shark. That's just a guy in a shitty shark costume that just eats people at the door. Well, the thing is that that does speak to something because like J- Jaws really is what got everybody terrified of sharks. 
Yeah, and uh, you know the the author of the original book, Peter Benchley, who has a cameo in this film as a newscaster, because um, he used to be a newscaster for uh, several years and worked in journalism and stuff like that. Uh, he regrets that in retrospect because he did a lot of uh, research with the actual um, what, what do you say? Yeah, like oceanologist or whatever. Oceanographers. Oceanographers. Uh, that's the study of the ocean, and ichthyologist is one who studies fish. Okay, anyway, he did a lot of, like, nonfiction work with actual uh, scientists about sharks and ocean life, and he found, you know, really, they're not, they won't mess with you unless you mess with them or unless they feel threatened somehow, and he regrets all this, the, the sharks people have killed in uh, the light of Jaws, and yet, despite that, you still hear stories in the news of sharks uh, uh, chomping on people. Well, cause sh- well, shark attacks are one of the few sexy natural disasters. Why is it sexy? Well, because it because it involves blood and it involves fighting off a monster. Hmm. And I mean, you know, I think of uh, I don't recall her name, but there's the the girl that did uh, surfboarding and she got a leg bit off by a shark. They even did a movie about it. And, uh, Was it a leg or an arm? Some I don't know some some part some appendage, and and it got replaced. And the first thing she wanted to do was go right back into the water again. Well, that's what you got to do. And although this wasn't a shark, you know, the the crocodile hunter himself, Steve Irwin, got stabbed in the chest by a uh, a manta Stingray. ray. Stingray, yeah. Which is, as a cartilaginous fish, related to the shark. Yeah. And, you know, I think of all these, these Jaws films, but think of how ludicrous an assignment for a film this sounds. Because... You got a bad guy, but it, it's not like it's an animal, right? It's not played by an actor. It's not like you get the people investigating, oh, did the shark kill these people? And then it cuts to Jaws the shark sitting in his smoking jacket on a couch in the ocean saying, oh, yes, look at all the humans. My dinner's coming soon. So you're imagining a version of Jaws, which is a, a campy British horror drama yes. starring Tim Curry as Jaws. Starring Tim Curry or uh, or uh, Alan Rickman. Mm, I can't wait to see what humans float along the surface till I can put them in my shiny jaws. Mm. <laughs> the titular line. I, yes, so. oh, I expect you to die <laughs> and fill my shark-like belly. Mm. No, Mr. Fish, I expect you to die. Not just you, your entire school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's you tricky, might say right? I'm too cool for school. It's just, like, really tricky because, you know, it's a bad guy you can't develop. And, and you think of, like, horror films, and the better ones, I think, in my opinion, of, like, the horror film franchises, the, the bad guy, the antagonist, has some kind of a personality, whether it's Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street or a Chucky in the Child's Play films. Well, that's though that's kind of a side effect of the modern slasher film with Jaws. The shark itself is an is is a destructive presence. It is a force of nature. It is something that cannot be sympathized with or reasoned with or connected to on anything approaching a human level. Did you know they cut out a uh, a kill scene in Jaws? No. About like midway through the film, uh, you know, near the beach, the the shark would have killed. It's a, there's a very brief footage of it on one of the documentaries on the DVD and Blu-ray, but it would have been a guy is holding his son in his arms, swimming in the ocean, and all of a sudden the shark starts gobbling the father, and he like throws the son out of the way to safety as he's gobbled up into like bloody pieces. 
Like, it's a real violent scene, and it was cut because Spielberg thought it looked too bloody and because it kind of robbed the shock. You know, the, the opening scene of this film is so iconic. Oh, yeah. And even the cover of the book looked very similar to the cover of the, the poster for the film with the shark rising up out of the water. Well, and it's just so terrifying because yeah. I mean, the, the, it's just it's just shaped like a torpedo. That thing could just snap you up and you would never know it. And uh, the actress that played um, the uh, the Chrissy Watkins in the beginning of the film, you know, who gets killed going skinny dipping while the guy passes out falling asleep on the beach, which is a real funny touch. Uh, she was like a stunt woman and stuff. So, but there was like a pretty um, complicated practical rig to get her to thrash around like that. They had all these ropes and stuff hooked up to uh, carabiners, hooked up to different parts of her body that would thrash her around. And she had safety releases that she could let go at any time or if she felt like she was getting stuck or they were mm, pulling good. too hard, she'd pull in the opposite direction. Well, with like these, like, well, that's that's something that that I love about Jaws is that so, so much of it, the action with the people takes place in real water and yeah. there is a sense of danger. Any one of these stunts could go wrong and any one of these scenes or set pieces is so much real for taking place in a real environment. Now, did you watch the uh, Academy Awards, the Oscars this year? No, no, I didn't. The, do you know about the explicit Jaws reference they did? N what did, uh, did, did it involve, uh, uh, Seth MacFarlane making some half-hearted crack about Jaws, and then it cut away to a plagiarized scene from Jaws with no actual joke and a lot of time filling, and then cut back to Seth MacFarlane. You see, what Seth MacFarlane did as the host of the Oscars, he had a bit where he said, you know, uh, this opening monologue of mine, it sure has a lot of Jaws. And they cut to a shark, and he says, and the shark says, you know, like the movie Jaws. And the shark winks, and it cuts back to Seth MacFarlane, and he shrugs his shoulders. I told you. No, that's not really what happened, but that sounds like a family guy joke. Okay, I believed you. I completely yeah. <laughs> believed you. I, I I, do not begrudge a man his success, but I have no respect for Todd McFarlane. Not Todd McFarlane, for uh, Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane. I actually enjoy uh, uh, Family Guy. I think it's gotten a little bit better in the recent season, this particular season. But uh, I will say... What they did is when people talk too long and they play the music to get them off stage, every time this time around, they played the Jaws, which I think is pretty amusing. That's uh, that's pretty witty. Uh, I'm not sure if it's witty, but it's a like good use of an iconic song. And it's consistent. You know, they keep on going with a gag every time someone talks too long. And I guess I guess it is better because this is something that bothers me about the Oscars. But I honestly feel it's rude to play someone off stage. Let the people give their speech. That's what we want to. Well, that's what I want to see. I but can't speak yeah. for everyone, but I want to see people giving an impassioned speech. I don't want to see musical numbers about anything. Well, that was a big kerfuffle at the Oscars this year. I, I promise, listeners, we'll talk more about Jaws in one minute. But just one last thing: uh, where um, you know the visual effects. Uh, the the film that won the Oscar this year in uh, 2012, 2013, however they call it, for uh, best uh, like visual effects was Life of Pi, which was an Ain Lee film, and uh, the company Rhythm and Hughes that did um, you know most of the CG work in the film went out of business uh, after the film came out, um, and it was because of you know uh, they were arguing visual effects artists in the United States don't get paid enough, and often that works get that work gets outsourced uh, either to overseas or to Canada or wherever. And the the people from the the company that won the Oscar, they were making 
making a plea about please, you know, pay the visual effects artists more and hire locally in the United States for, uh, you know, um, American pictures. And the Jaws theme played, playing them off. And a lot of people found that as quite offensive. And I mean, the Oscars, the Oscars is a show, they have to keep it moving. But I mean, you're right. People no, work- they don't. They never keep it moving. They they cut off the people so that they can do stupid set pieces. They have a lot less stupid set pieces on the Oscars than they used to. But it's still a very long show. But yet, I mean, this is, the Oscar is an award that people work their whole life towards getting this, uh, you know, career accolade from your peers. And still don't necessarily get. Uh, yeah, in some cases, sure. And, you know, like like Tim Curry's not going to win for Best Frankenfurter. Well, regret, regrettably, like Tim Curry's one of those people that he's probably going to get a Lifetime Achievement Award three days before he dies. Yeah. But speaking of Rocky Horror, let me turn this back to Jaws. The year Jaws came out was 1975. This was uh, Jaws was the top grossing film in the U.S. Number two was Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Number three, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Number four, Dog Day Afternoon, starring Al Pacino. Number five, Shampoo, starring Warren Beatty. And uh-huh. at number six was a sequel, Return to the Pink Panther, with Peter Sellers, of course. So, anyway, just give you a little taste of what was popular in 1975 when Jaws came out, which is, you know, two years uh, before Star Wars. And we covered the Star Wars films recently. Check those out at www.sequelcast.com or at the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. Well, so, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Star Wars. Yes. I, I honestly feel like us doing Jaws it, it is like an extension of us doing Star Wars for, for, for a couple of reasons. You know, one, you know, being this, the Spielberg-Lucas connection, but yeah. also is Jaws is Jaws and Star Wars are the two films credited with kind of creating the blockbuster as we understand it today. You're correct. I mean, I don't completely buy that, but certainly Jaws and Star Wars especially are uh, some of the films that are important as far as making films have a, a quicker pace, you know, kind of getting more to the point, getting more to the action, kind of being more of a, people have compared it to a roller coaster where it's a lot of, you know, you gotta have an, yeah, gotta have a, a whammo every ten minutes, right? Eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console. Power through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Stinger Core Wireless for PlayStation. Enjoy lightweight comfort with reliable wireless freedom, so you won't miss plot points when you head to the fridge. High quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers, as well as online at Target, Micro Center, Best Buy, Amazon, Walmart or shop directly at hyperx.com and hp.com. John Doe? No, uh, Vinicius Antoniacci said about Jaws, great movie, but it's not aged well too slow. I I disagree. I think it's exactly the right pace. If anything, modern audiences are too fast. I think that's fair. I think also I was making the comparison of Jaws to a slasher film, but this first Jaws film reminds me more of a mystery, except as the audience, we know uh, what the killer is, sort of. And they're, yeah, you know, speaking about the pacing, uh, sequel cast, listener, almost like them doing detective work before doing the final, um, you might call it a sequest, which starred Roy Scheider. No, it's terrible. <laughs> 
you know, before they, they go I, out on the orca to hunt down the fucking shark. I would call more of a sea hunt with Mike Nelson. A, uh, yes. What is that called? A shunt? Uh, you, yeah, I, I suppose you could. That's, that's what the fans call it at the big sea hunt conventions. Shunt Con 2013. It's better than Cunt Con. Okay. Well, speak for yourself. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, with uh, this film, I like that it takes its time, you know. As is the case with a lot of Spielberg films, the the location is kind of in the suburbs, in this case kind of on a beachside town, but, you know, it's very kind of white bread. And it feels very lived in. It feels like a real the town of Amity. It uh, seems like a real town. Amity Island. Well, it, no, it is. It actually, it reminds me, uh, every every summer my family has a reunion uh, in the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and it reminds me, it, it speaks to me, because it reminds me a lot of the of the, the communities out there. Like like Duck, North Carolina? Uh, duck, Nags, I think primarily Nags Head, but... I would love to crash one of those, but I'm afraid your family would say, who is this short, hairy fellow? They've they've had visitors before, and my family is composed. With one exception, my family is composed of good sports. That exception wasn't Jersey Jason, was it? No, he's he's he, he <laughs> may be my brother from another mother, but he's not family. Well, okay. he has been there before. Okay, if fair they enough. Can tolerate him; they can tolerate you. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, no, I, I used to go in that area too with for uh, family uh, reunions um, when I was younger, and. That's a real fun area, but I mean, this was filmed, uh, Jaws was filmed in Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. And I didn't see grape one. What do you mean? Vineyard grapes, bad joke. Uh, oh, okay. But a if bad it, joke yeah. that I stand behind. Well, if it's a joke, you have to explain. I didn't have to. You, you. If the audience needs it, explain. <laughs> <laughs> That's the audience's problem. I think if this being filmed in Massachusetts, that water had to have been freezing. I would guess so. I don't but care if you're in a wet And you know, they they say, you know, you shouldn't film on water, and this was filmed on water. Again, and, it adds so much gravity and realism to the scenes. And though. it added so much to the budget and the you know, the making of documentaries. Steven Spielberg complains of how at the time, you know, you didn't have CG, so if there happened to be a boat in the, the distance you couldn't wipe it out. So if they were filming a scene and all of a sudden a boat was on the horizon, they didn't want that because they wanted to make it feel like everyone was stranded out in the ocean. Um, what they had to do is they had to wait an entire hour in real time for the boat to clear the horizon for the shot frame before doing one take. Rather than turning the boats or adjusting the camera angle slightly. <laughs> to turn the boats, they had to adjust like several anchors, and it would have taken just as long, if not longer. Ah. Uh... I mean, I mean, that's the sort of thing. This was certainly in practical filmmaking, and uh, because the shark, which they nicknamed Bruce after Steven Spielberg's lawyer at the time, um, <laughs> they it didn't look as good as they wanted to, so they couldn't feature it in the film as much as they would have liked. But it that adds to the mystique. No, no, the fact the fact that we get very few direct, we only get these glimpses and little snippets of the shark gives it so much more presence. You know, our, our minds imagine it being much more sizable and terrifying than the actual robotic shark ever could have been. And I've also, as I understand it, there are also just nothing but technical problems with the robotic shark as well. So out of these three uh, main actors in the film, uh, Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfus, which is the one that speaks to you? I... 
Oh, gosh. I think... I guess it, it, when it's when it starts out, it's uh, when it when it starts out, it's it's Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, uh, and he's 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 you know clever. He he's he's intellectual. Never. But as the movie goes on, I start to gravitate much more towards Robert Shaw, particularly when when he opens up about his experience uh, his experience in World War II. That monologue is uh, such a great piece of writing. You know, um, one of the original writers on that monologue was uh, John Milius, who wrote and directed such films as Conan the Barbarian and the original Red Dawn. Well, you know what? Uh, my friend uh, Rico from Play Unplugged, uh, Play Unplugged, they got a podcast, Play Unplugged Radio. Uh, he's just uh, messaged me saying that uh, he considers Quint's monologue one of the best and most unsettling monologues ever put on camera. Hmm. And I mean, that is a real story that he's talking about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that that's what... It, it it works on so many levels because it gives the character a tremendous amount of of depth because you know the the characters in this film are old enough to remember the Second World War and and in his case actually actually participate in it. Uh, we uh, you know it it is it is real history uh, and it's it's also it's just it's one of those stories that that I don't that never shows up, that doesn't actually show up in a movie about World War II. What's interesting, and we'll touch on this more next week, uh, one of the original concepts for Jaws 2 would have been a prequel about that very event, about that monologue come to life, about a younger Quint, you know, Quint or Jaws Quint Origins, <laughs> if you will. The, the Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah. The, the sharky, the, the shaky menace. Um. Hey, the premise for that sequel sounds pretty fishy. Oh, <laughs> Thank you, Shecky. Oh, wait. No uh, Shecky has uh, one more thing to say. You know this movie was called Jaws because the shock has a lot of teeth. You know what else has a lot of teeth? My wife's vagina. Thank you. Good night. Shecky Spielberg, everyone. <laughs> you know, that could be <laughs> that could be a, a whole other, other like Jaws erotic thriller where it's all about vagina dentata. Uh, there's already a movie about that called Teeth. I know, but mine would be good and would involve a monologue about the Second World War. <laughs> <laughs> the Second World Whore? Is that what you said? We, we, can't, we can't close the brothels. It's almost Labor Day. <laughs> um, part of what works so great about the uh, triumvirate of Brody, Quint, and Hooper is how the characters are so different and clash with each other. Oh, yeah. You They're know, not friends. No, They're... no, exactly. Roy Scheider... His character is uh, that actor's character, I should say. In Jaws, is very the, is uh, you know the the chief of police. He's very by the book, and yet Quint is very kind of rough and tumble. And Richard Dreyfus is the scientist, the nerd who everything you know is the Spock of the group, if if you will, is very logical. And in fact, you could do that metaphor even further, and that works perfectly because if Matt Hooper is Spock, and uh, Quint is Captain Kirk. Uh, Brody. Did I say Marcus Brody? That's Indiana Jones. What's his name? Damn it. It is Brody, though. Yeah, Martin Brody. That's it. Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider, would be Dr. McCoy. You know, I think we're on to something. Everything can be boiled down to a Star Trek, the original series metaphor. Thank you. (laughs) Or the maiden, the mother, and the crone, if it's some ladies. 
Yeah, and speaking of ladies, how did you think of uh, Lorraine Gary playing the uh, part of the the wife? She's she, she's she's good, but it's not her story. No, no, it's not. Jaws: The Revenge is her story, but yeah, and and that, I guess I guess that's one of the that's one of the only things that the only the only kind of weaknesses this movie has is that is is that. The, there aren't any real strong women characters. Uh, the women just get eaten or f- or fret. Yeah. And yet, you know, I, I love the conflict early on in the film where they decide, well, this uh, the shark has killed uh, Chrissy Watkins from the beginning. Are we going to close down the beach, which this whole town of uh, Amity Island is focused on their economy. You know, 90% of their income comes in during the summer months. If you shut it down, you know, if you say Barracuda, everyone says, who cares? As I say in the film, but if you say Shark, it's a ghost town. And if you say Rock Lobster, they go, oh, Gonna take a shock and kill the ocean. Gonna drink in a boat. We talk about World War II. Rock Jaws. No, <laughs> okay, I think we know what's going on our album. Yes. Um, I like Murray Hamilton as the mayor, as I was going to say. No, actually, I completely buy him. Yeah, small part. He seems like a he seems like a mostly honest mayor who does legitimately want to do what's best for the town and best for the economy, but who just can't understand the nature of, of the threat the town is facing. Mm. Yeah, it's uh that makes it feel more realistic and more lived in. I mean, you know, Jaws had a notoriously difficult film shoot way over budget, filmed way over schedule. People said, Oh, this is gonna be the flop of the year, instead it was the highest grossing film in the United States in the United States at least, uh, of that year, nineteen seventy five, if it's a re- release. Yeah, I I almost had something there. Um, no, this is—I mean, this movie is a, a a phenomenal, phenomenal success story, and it's 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 just a shame that none of the sequels really lived up to it. Which we'll talk about in the weeks to come. Oh yeah, you can check out at sequelcast dot com or battleshipretention.com. Well, you know that's the problem with leftover fish. After a few sequels, it really starts to stink. That's very good, Shecky Spielberg. Thank you. No problem. Okay. I'll be here all week. <laughs> yes. Um, how can I respond to that? Oh, hey, I got to ask, uh, Matt, have you yes. ever been on any long uh, chartered fishing trips? Fishing trips, no, but, but whaling sightings, yes. Where you go out for a good four hours out in the ocean. Uh, in fact, this was in Massachusetts where I did this to try and see if you see any whales. And if you don't see any whales, even their slightest hump, you get refunded your money, but you get wasted all your time, your half a day of time. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would disagree. I don't find any time spent uh, on the ocean wasted, but uh, that's another, that's another thing. This movie gets absolutely right. Uh, when you got a bunch of guys out on the ocean in a boat looking for fish, and no fish are are, are coming, you start to drink and sing <laughs> and tell <laughs> stories. I take it you've been on a big uh, expedi- fishing expedition. 
I, I I've been I've been on a few. Uh, and, and it's and some of them, some of them, you know, no no fish show up, so all you can do is drink and sing. Is that what makes it a real uh, male bonding moment? That yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just and it's just one of those things that's that it's it's that kind of that kind of bonding and connection among men is just something that I don't I don't think I've ever seen in a movie. I just I've just seen it in Jaws, and it's so true. What a great point. I mean, originally when they filmed the the famous monologue scene, Robert Shaw insisted on doing it shit-faced for realism. Except Robert Shaw got so drunk he couldn't spit out his lines. <laughs> so they had to close the set, and he came in first thing the next morning, and they filmed it out in the ocean, and he did it within one or two takes. Was he hungover? Mm, apparently, or he was tough enough to work through it, I guess. Oh, no, um, here's a question. Yeah. Do you think they were drunk when they were singing? Possibly. If not, that's a good fake out. I mean, it certainly is an improvisational feel. Although those are real songs. Are they? Okay. Yeah. They were they weren't just they weren't just making uh making uh, stuff up. Hmm. Actually, I think Sweet Spanish Ladies might actually go all the way back to the First World War, kind of like uh that Ricky Tiki Parlez-vous song. I mean, recall there's a bit before they start the exposition, like in the third act of the film, um, Quint says a little monologue, or it's something about a uh, a lady about virginity or something. Mm-hmm. He got that from a gravestone in Ireland. Huh. So I thought that's a real... I mean, this the, the humor in this film really helps, and the interplay between the three leads really helps the film. I think, and um, that they never quite find that chemistry again in the sequels with whatever various characters or sons of um, Martin Brody they have around uh, really says something. You know, some of the uh, shark footage in this is of real sharks that was filmed in Australia. Oh, that's right. And actually, I've heard I've heard a rumor that the uh, that the shark cage scene that was a miniature shark cage with a with a little person in it with with specially designed miniature uh, diving equipment. Originally, it was supposed to be a little. I mean, that was with the that scene with the shark uh, busting up the the cage is with the real shark, and they were meant to have a they cast a little person, a uh, a um a dwarf I think they preferred to be called, or, or a little person. Uh, and what happens is the guy, you know, was, was really uncomfortable with it and didn't have any experience really going under the water and, uh, scuba outfits and stuff. So they had a little, like, kind of a toy doll they stuck in the, the cage. And because it's a wide shot, you can't tell so well. Hmm. So it's just like a oversized action figure in a miniature cage. And the shark actually almost got caught up in the cage and the rope and stuff around the cage. Well, I, had, I could see that as being a real problem. Yeah, and they had, and they had to wait for the shark to, to get free for them to retrieve the busted up cage to do another take. So oh, I think before we you know wrap up our talk on Jaws, let's take a minute talking about some of our affiliates and so forth. So I Go think, on. Yes. 
So our website is at SequelCast.com. The Facebook page is at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. And uh, let's say you love listening to SequelCast or our other family of shows, including SequelCast Special. Which, how would you describe SequelCast Special, Thrasher? Well, that's when we want to do a special standalone episode that doesn't that is not specifically about about sequels. Oh, it's always about film, but we always approach it from a different angle. Yes. Whether we're talking about obscure home video formats or uh movies that rip off uh or, or uh, can we announce our we're going to do one we're going to yeah. do a special yep. on movies that ripped off jaws? Take a time machine back to before the world went to hell, around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games, that's what I want to talk about. If you're cool enough, join us and listen to Less Than 2000, because that's all we talk about. Adam and Chad live Less Than 2000, now part of the HyperX Podcast Network. For every episode of No More Whoppers that you listen to, we will send you a 25 cent coupon for participating Kroger's. How many Kroger's are participating? None, but you're still getting the coupon. And it's like 25 cents in 1985 dollars. Right, so today that's like... 28 cents. No More Whoppers, take that to the bank and smoke it. On the HyperX Podcast Network and nomorewhoppers.com. Eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console. Powered through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Steiner Core Wireless for PlayStation. Enjoy lightweight comfort with reliable wireless freedom so you won't miss plot points when you head to the fridge. High quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers, as well as online at Target, Best Buy, and Amazon, where you can shop for them directly at HyperX.com and HP.com. Yes, yeah, we are. And in the future, we're going to do a sequel cast special about Jaws ripoffs. Uh, another yep. um, show in the sequel cast family of shows is a sequel commentary. Ah, yes. Which is your baby. Yep, I'm keeping that alive. And uh, how would you describe that? It's like an audio commentary, right? It is an improv it is a mostly improvised audio commentary about a film in a franchise or or related to a franchise that we're discussing. I've actually I've done a series we just wrapped up Star Wars, so I did a series of sequel commentaries on Star Wars ripoffs. And uh so I've done uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, I've done uh uh, the message from space. I was actually planning on doing one on us uh, on uh, Space Hunter, and then suddenly that movie vanished from all the streaming sites. Oh, that's too bad. And in fact, that's happened to about half of the Star Wars ripoffs that I wanted to do commentaries for. So there will be a third. Uh, I'm just trying to make sure that it's one that's readily available online and not just something that's on my DVD collection that no one will be able to find. Sure, that always helps. Um... And the the fourth uh, show, sequel cast family of shows that we're is going to premiere pretty soon is the video game sequel cast, and we've been talking about this for a while. I originally tried to do a Kickstarter to fund this, but not knowing anything about Kickstarter, that kind of fell in the toilet. Um, so I decided just to to do it anyway without uh, help of funding from a Kickstarter campaign. And it looks at video games in a franchise, but instead of one video game at a time, because there's so many different video game series out there. We've decided where an episode might focus on on part of a franchise devoted to a particular system, say the Sonic the Hedgehog games on the Genesis, and another episode might be uh, I don't know like Mario games on the Nintendo uh, sixty four sixty four. Well, there's just like one main one, but yeah. So but you get the idea, and uh, because video game podcasts are, are popular, and we talk about video games on Sequel Cast a lot, and our listeners. 
uh, really have expressed an interest anytime I've floated the video game sequel cast idea. So if you like sequel cast or any of those other shows, which you can all check out at sequelcast.com, consider donating to us. Just go to sequelcast.com slash donate and you get a link to our PayPal account, which you can donate directly to. Um, we've had uh, listeners donate in the past. Uh, many thanks. Hello. Yes. Okay, cool. Pause for edit. No, no, no. I just finished the spiel as my monologue, so that's all fine and good. <laughs> Did that monologue involve uh, involve sharks? No, but I think our, our closing discussion on Jaws will involve sharks. The music of John Williams, his, his classic Jaws theme. It is, it is iconic. It da, is another da, song that gets da, referenced da. and parodied just yeah. all over the place. And it is just, you know, it is just, it just starts out so simple with just those and just builds tension from there. Well, you know what? It almost sounds like like a Bernard Herrmann sort of score. You're right. No, it did remind me of, you know, the... Up until the shark just starts thrashing around, you know. Yeah. And the music makes you think you're seeing something far more disturbing than what you are seeing because there's so little of the shark in the film... Although, I mean, you do get a, a decent amount of blood, especially for the time when Quint gets chewed up and oh, Matt yeah. Hooper somehow survives. In fact, I have a theory. I can't um, prove this, but I can't disprove this at the moment either. Uh, oh, know, so it's perfectly logical. But... Uh, possibly. You know, my name is, uh, I go by Matt, and my full name is Matthew, but I think I partially might have been named based off the Richard Dreyfuss character from Jaws, Matt Hooper. It's a shame there's no one still alive today you could ask about that. Uh, there's my dad, but he's busy doing Hollywood work and uh, about a screenplay he's been working on. So, huh. Interesting cool. stuff. Tell me, Jaws, it's much tougher to talk about a good movie than a bad movie on sequel cast. Oh, I don't know. Well, you know what's funny? A lot of people have been talking about Jaws recently on... Uh, the podcast network uh, Earwolf at Earwolf.com, they did two special episodes of their podcast, Analyze Fish, where Paul F. Tompkins and Howard Kramer just talked about Jaws. Well, you know, the, the Blu-ray for Jaws just came out recently, so maybe that has to do with it. It might be, um... no, it's not some special anniversary of the film, but I mean, the film is. It's important. Almost, it's important, it's popular, and it's well-remembered. It's practically 40 years old at this point. It's hard to believe. And, you know, uh, Roy Scheider, who played the lead, he's no longer with us. Neither is Robert Shaw, but Richard Dreyfus keeps on kicking it. He mainly does a lot of theater work in uh, in London, from what I uh, believe. Cool. But uh, Richard Dreyfus, in fact, uh, played a character that calls out to Jaws... In uh, the recent film, Piranha 3D, he played a character called Matthew Boyd. Oh, really? Instead of Matt Hooper. <laughs> a little cameo. And he's done a lot of television work, and he was uh, recently in the film Red. Had a small part in that, so... <laughs> I was just I was just thinking of uh, of, of like a, a British stage version of Jaws. You gotta close the beaches, you do, you do. Uh-oh, I'm a shark. I'm mighty hungry and I got eat right here. I want to eat a human. Is it going to be you, Mr. Mayor? Oh, no. 
There's a shark off the apples and pears. You see, I can't do British because it turns into Australian, and it's a common fault of Americans doing uh, British accents. Which is funny because it's also a common fault of Americans doing Australian accents that they start to sound South African. Uh, yeah, I find the South African accent to be a bit, you know, like higher pitch, not quite as so as New Zealand, but still some of that same ethnicity. South African. South African. I, I went New to Zealand. high school with some South Africans in uh, New Zealand, Georgia, and like places. This. And then you can be from Liverpool. You know, the only Australian I can do um, halfway poorly is is, <laughs> is, an, is an imitation of a uh, of Wolverine from the X Men, which I did. Um. Gee, what's the? You did uh, for something. <laughs> I, I did for something on a, on a podcast I was on that I can't think of, of a listener of the show. Hosted by Maladin. God damn it, what's that show called? Uh, anyway, I did a... You did Australian Wolverine. I, Australian Wolverine is like, I'm good at what I do, and what I do isn't very nice. Which is funny, because I, I don't know if you ever saw the, uh, X, the uh, pilot for the X-Men cartoon that wasn't picked up back in the late 80s. I It was animated in Japan, where Wolverine inexplicably has a thick Australian accent. Come on, Professor! And yet, you know, in uh, modern day stuff, yeah, it's Hugh played by an Australian, Hugh Jackman, you know. Hmm. That new X-Men movie sounds pretty cool. Have you heard about it? No, no, I haven't. So Sequel news. Yeah, sequel news. Um, Why don't we do this as a new regular segment <laughs> after we finish fucking talking about Jaws? Sure! Is that fair? Okay. Jaws. It's a good. It's a great movie, a classic. I give it four and a half out of five. I docked it half a star because uh, it's kind of draggy before the orca goes out. The boat, the orca, not not the orca, orca animal uh, goes oh, man, out on the if, ocean. The, what if the shark from Jaws fought the orca from Orca? Then you'd have like baby, uh, baby Jaws fighting baby orca. No, no, a, a, a shark and a cetacean can't mate. You just haven't tried hard enough. Well, okay. I, you... well, if I'm going to rate it, I love it too much. I'm going to give it a, a, a full five. It's just it's just too much of an important movie to me to give it anything less. Uh, and uh, just one one other comment. This is actually something I found out recently that most of the like most of the extras were not professional extras. They were just locals from Martha's Vineyard doing what they always do, which is I think another reason why uh, why those scenes seem so real. Exactly. Uh, we're going to move into another segment called Pitch a Sequel, in which we pretend no sequels are made for this film, in particular, you know, the original Jaws in this case. And we're going to talk about, um, you know, what we do if we were doing a sequel to this original film. So I'll begin. I think what you would have is, although the shark is killed at the end of the film, you know, a tiny piece of shark skin uh, survives, Michael Crichton style. <laughs> and, and scientists would take this bit of shark skin, and they found, you know, it had amazing powers. If they grafted it onto a, a human subject, they would get amazing strength, amazing teeth, an amazing bite, a grip that wouldn't let go. And, and they do like a shark-human hybrid, but the shark-human hybrid escapes, and I would call it human jaws. <laughs> Does he have to fight Dr. Piranhas? 
Um, With the other street sharks? Not Dr. Piranhas, but you would have, you know, Richard Dreyfus and Roy Scheider reprising their parts. And uh, they said, gee, one shark was hard, but one shark, half shark, half man, that's impossible. It, it would be, you know, on land, but a climax would take place on a cruise ship out in the ocean. We're like this half shark, half human hybrid from the DNA of the original shark from Jaws could like f- jump in the ocean and um, it- partially mutate into more of a shark form in the water, in the salt water. Well, you know, it's actually you, you mentioned the, 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 sh- the shark DNA and amazing powers. That was uh, uh, I think it was a more important part of the novel, which kind of I'm not even sure now that I think about it, I'm not even sure it gets mentioned in the film, but that the shark from Jaws is actually supposed to be a megalodon, hmm. which, for, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, me, uh, megalodons were these work. massive primordial, primordial sharks. Yeah. And, you know, that was the whole premise. Well, what if one survived and then swam inland for a meal? Hmm. Okay. So my sequel pitch uh, is going to be uh, Jaws to uh, the reckoning because the second one, there always has to be a sequel with the reckoning. So uh, in in that one, you know the the whole the whole issue with the with the shark it creates all since since the shark gets blown up, there's in the end no evidence that there ever was a giant shark. So the police chief and the marine biologist kind of get uh, kind of get disgraced and discredited, and they're kind of like you know painted as frauds by the mayor to just try to scare the people and. Uh, you know, scare scare the people and like you know get the town's money for some harebrained shark hunt. Uh, and uh, however, the 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 crazy incident has increased the tourism. So uh, the chief and the uh, the chief loses his job. The marine biologist, you know, loses his academic backing, and they end up take keeping the orca and going uh, going into business for themselves as. Uh, basically consultants if your community is plagued by sharks or sea monsters uh, and other apparitions that go splash in the night they are kind of aquatic ghostbusters that show up to help deal with it although not in a silly way they're very gritty and very professional and they're out there to save lives damn it however uh however there were people taking notice and there are other megalodons out there. And so the United States Navy and the Russians are both trying to get a megalodon that they can weaponize. And it is one of the these attempts to capture a megalodon that drives another one further inland. We'll say this one's like in uh, – in the Gulf of Mexico, why not? And that's where that's where the you know the action really takes takes place. So we have the crew of the Orca, the, a Russian submarine, uh, and the United States Navy all trying to deal with this shark for different purposes. And in the end, it's going to have to be destroyed. And the way this one's going to be uh, get destroyed is that uh, qu- uh, they're going to trick it into biting the uh, biting the reactor of the Russian nuclear submarine. It swallows a nuclear weapon and kerboom. Hmm. That would be quite a kerboom indeed. A big underwater one. If you have ideas for fun pitch a sequel themes or want to talk to us about Jaws, you know, head over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast or send us an email at sequelcast at gmail.com. Did you know I had a listener recently submit me a comment through our Hipster Goblin website? Cool. I thought it was very surprising. As a sequelcast, you know, all all the shows are produced under the uh, my company, uh, Hipster Goblin. And the website for that is hipstergoblin.com. But it's, it's a very simple, bare-bones site at the moment. But as a uh, hipster goblin thing I'm working on, 
aside from all these podcasts, is I have been working on an iPhone game. Oh, yeah. So I still need to write out the rough draft of this thing, but it's um, it's a lot of work. I think I'm going to have to literally park myself at a coffee shop and get out of the house and force myself to write it. And I need to finish those graphics, too. Oh, no, sure. Take your time. But uh, I don't want to announce the title yet, but I will say it's kind of a... Uh, mouthful? It's a mouthful. Uh, it's not even the final title, but, like, it's a... I don't know. I'd say it's kind of like a like a horror kind of thing, like a choose-your-adventure. Sort of like a Scooby-Doo meets uh, Hammer Films or Vincent Price. I don't know. <laughs> Scooby-Doo did meet Vincent Price a few times. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. So I think before we uh, do what you're watching, we should do a new segment, uh, Sequel News, in which I talk about a bit of sequel news that I find interesting. Um, we were teasing about X-Men earlier, and there's a few X-Men-related films that are coming out. In fact, uh, this year, there is a, a film coming out that's the second standalone uh, Wolverine film. Huh called The Wolverine. The first one was called X-Men's Origins Wolverine. And uh, this one's based off the um, run of the comic limited series by Chris Claremont with art by Frank Miller from 1982. Oh, the one where he goes to Japan? Yes. I hope they work in Lady Deathstrike, because I'm not really sure you can do that story without Lady Deathstrike. Um... You know, I, I think they, they will. I'm not sure. I think it's it's really going to be challenging in that I've read that the graphic novel collecting that limited series as well, Thrasher, and it could come off as very much like a soap opera and kind of a dopey romance, I think, if they... And it's going to be a tough act to follow, juggling ninjas and the Yakuza, you know, the Japanese mafia, essentially... And and uh, a love triangle and all the stuff in Japan is going to be real. There's going to be a lot of balls I'll have to juggle in the air for uh, the Wolverine. And um, but you know James Mangold, he's directed a lot of cool films. He directed uh, Copland, Girl Interrupted, mm. and um, Walk the Line. And more recently, he did Night and Day, starring Tom Cruise and uh, Cameron Diaz, which was not so good, but. I think this has a promise. Uh, did you see the X-Men Origins Wolverine? Yes, I did. It was it was fun. It, it was okay, it was very very good. It wasn't great. It reminded me of the cartoon sort of. Huh. Where you just smash as many characters into a story as possible. Yeah, they did they did try to cram in a lot of the Marvel universe. But as far as the timeline goes, this film, The Wolverine, is supposed to take place after X-Men The Last Stand, which was the third X-Men film. Um, they're, that, they're developing a very interesting chronology there. Uh, yeah, speaking of interesting chronologies, I mean, the next uh, X-Men film after that... So, uh, The Wolverine is coming out in... Um, 2013, this summer. But next year, 2014, there's a film coming out uh, based on the famous comic book uh, run called X-Men Days of Future Past. In which not only are you going to have many of the characters from the uh, original trilogy of X-Men films 
like Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, but you're going to have the actors from X-Men First Class uh, in there as well in a, a time-traveling story. And what the hell, Samuel L. Jackson? Why not? Sure, no. But, uh... So that's gonna they're gonna have a lot of stuff. I never read that uh run in the comics, Days of Future Past, that it's a very famous storyline. Um have you read that? No, actually I haven't. I uh I think Bishop was in that, right? I, I'm sure he is. I uh, I I suffered from a bit of mutant burnout uh in the nineties. So like uh X Men X Men comics and Batman comics are two comics I generally stay away from because it takes very little for me to get fed up with those. So, um, one of the actors they cast as uh, the main bad guy in the film is Peter Dinklage. Hmm. You know who he is? Oh, yeah, I know Peter Dinklage. Uh, who is he playing? They haven't revealed that yet. Could it be The Watcher, or is that to Mordok? Oh, oh Modok? Modok. Could it be Modok? Well, Modok's more of an Iron Man and Avengers villain. Mm. I, I would assume they would save him for those uh, for those features. I'm trying to think of because I, I, like Toad and Puck are the only two like X Men characters that immediately come to mind for Peter Dinklage, but I don't know. Yeah, and uh, the interesting thing about X Men: Days of Future Past is it's going to be directed by Brian Singer, who directed the first two X Men films. Huh. So out of those two upcoming X-Men sequels I described to you, which sounds more interesting? Um, Oddly enough, I think Wolverine, if only because Mm. since it's going to be focusing mainly on one character, we're going to get a much tighter story. Yeah, that's a real tricky thing with X-Men, right? It's like G.I. Joe. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I want it to be held as well as the ensemble cast in the Avengers, but... Right now, I only really have faith in Joss Whedon being able to pull that off. Because hmm. I've seen I've seen too many Marvel uh, movies that have been kind of overwhelmed by having a huge cast. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, there's a lot of uh... we'll have to see what comes out. But that's some exciting X Men sequels in the months and year or so ahead. So that's our. First sequel news segment. Sequel news. Sequel news. Okay. Um, On to our final segment, what you're watching. Why don't you start, Thrasher? All right. Well, uh, I I have not had time. I'm working right now on the uh, Swords of Coast source book for for Skirmisher Publishing LLC, so I have not had much time uh, to watch any kind of movies. But what I have had time to do before bed... I have finally gotten uh, caught up and read all of Jack Kirby's original Fourth World comics, which were a series of interconnected titles he did for DC Comics in the early 70s after he had left Marvel, which uh, comprised comprised of uh, The New Gods, uh, Mr. Miracle, and uh, see, The New Gods, Mr. Miracle, uh, and uh, The Forever People, and a couple of issues of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. And these comics are absolutely fantastic. Uh, what's so fantastic about the comics? Well, I, well, one, it's the story that Jack Kirby kind of always wanted to tell. It 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 was it was sort of the truest expression of his creative identity. It was uh, 
and and it was it was mostly uncompromised it was it was just straight jack kirby there was uh, you know not the kind of kirby and lee hybrid that you would always get at at marvel comics which is not to say that 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 you know team up was bad they created some of the world's best comics together but uh it just it he had kirby has free reign in these stories to really explore all the concepts that had always been hinted at in his work, but that he had never been able to completely delve into. So, you know, it, it you know, tackles life, life and death, love, history, mythology, religion. It's really is fantastic. And, and it was all building to something. He had intended to have it all build into a thrilling climax, but sadly all of the titles got dropped by DC before he could ever do that climax. And he was, Brought back later to do a graphic novel that would contain that climax. However, his his original uh, it deals with a number of superheroes and villains of his creation, among them Orion uh, in Darkseid. And I, uh, it, it turns out his original intention was that Orion at the end of the story, Orion and Darkseid would kill each other. Uh, and so when he finally was going to do the graphic novel that would wrap everything up, DC said, no, these characters, once again, comic book editor meddling, oh, no, people like these characters. You can't kill them off. But the ending doesn't work unless they are both dead. Hmm. That always frustrates me when there's a scene where you get emotionally invested in a character and he dies and you're like, okay, that was a ballsy move. But then at the end, their head pops up and like, I'm okay, I'm just injured. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that happens a and, lot. And it's it's a real shame. I would it's it's, it's a shame that that Kirby never really did get a chance to finish it the way the way he'd want to. But the th- this particular body of work is phenomenal. I heartily recommend try, uh, tracking down reprints of this and, and really enjoying uh, really enjoying them. It's it's really it's like it's just it's almost like v- Wagnerian uh, in its in its scope. No, and I, content. Yes. I recently watched a um, documentary. Let me let me look up the exact name of this thing because it was a It was a uh, documentary called Oh jeez. Like no subtitles required. Mm. And it was about two uh, very influential cinematographers. Uh, primarily, you know, their their main work was from like the seventies and eighties. One of which is, is still alive. That person being Vittorio, Vittorio Storaro, who was a uh, DP in such films as Apocalypse Now, uh, Lady Hawk, and Last Tango in Paris. Mm-hmm. And the I might have this name wrong. I'm a fucking idiot. Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to talk about something else because I can't get the names right. It's these European cinematographers that it's a good documentary. Classic sequel cast. Rewind. I am talking about something Over else. Edit. Right now. I recently was watching a rewatched um, the latest James Bond film, Skyfall. Skyfall Blu-ray, and it held up really well on a second watch. I saw this in the theater, and uh, I don't think it's quite as good as the Casino Royale film they came out with um, a while ago with uh, the new James Bond, Daniel Craig. Mm -hmm. But Skyfall, it's a good one of action. You have a really good bad guy. It just gets a bit 
it doesn't have as many fancy locations. It's not, I, I would like the next James Bond to have a little bit more humor. But when you see Skyfall, you kind of feel like the three Daniel Craig films to date, uh, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, and Skyfall, Skyfall. Are, are a very loose trilogy. And at the end of Skyfall, you'll feel like, okay, James Bond is back to where we know him. Now we can have uh, a proper James Bond with a bit more humor, a bit more fancy locales next time out. Hmm. If that makes any sense. I think so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the James Bond films consistently, I think, are pretty great. But if we covered them on sequel cast, I think we'd have to limit how we did it. Cause I would we'd not... have to do just one particular Bond, I think. I think so, because I, I would shoot myself if I did nothing but James Bond for half a year at the rate we do these. Uh, <laughs> And you make it a spin-off series. Right. And if you like podcasts about sequels, there's another one that was out even before sequel cast. It, they're still around um, called Now Playing Podcast. And they did all the James Bond films recently. And I'm just in awe. At, they did a series on, like, all the Marvel films, including the TV films. Like, I, I, I would just go crazy doing that many films in a franchise. I had enough problems doing The Muppets for uh, two months, which was fun, but it's, like, hard. Well, you know, um, the Bad Movie Fiends, uh, BMFcast.com, they also did the all-complete James Bond series. Okay. They they did it. They did the second. They did like fifty whatever, however many episodes, where yeah. the second half of the episode was a James Bond review. Really fantastic. What's the website for that? BMFcast.com. Okay. Great. So we've talked a lot about, uh, a little bit about Jaws, hopefully enough for your liking, <laughs> on this episode of the Sequel Cast. Check that out was more, a mouthful. Oh. Check out more episodes at SequelCast.com. And, of course, you can listen to us, uh, you know, either at BattleshipPretension.com, look us up on iTunes, give a good review, or uh, check us out on Stitcher, the app at Stitcher.com slash SequelCast. Uh, next week, we'll be covering Jaws 2. For the Sequel Cast, this is Matt. And Thrasher. And Shecky Spielboig. And and Shecky Spielboig saying There's an echo in here. Shark's got dead eyes. Soulless eyes. Jaws has a lot of bite to it. Go see it. <laughs> Shecky Spielboig. I think we bit off more than we could chew or swallow all on this episode. In this movie, the shark eat chum, but if you like ch a chum, I'll be your chum if you see Jaws. No one wants to be Shecky's friend. He's be, alienated everyone he's ever worked with. Be Shecky Spielberg's chum like Jaws. <laughs> okay. Street Sharks reference. <laughs> Not police fish. Fish, 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 I like police fish as a more inept title. Well, well, there's fish, police fish, and fish police. Police fish or fish owned by police, I think. And then, then, there, then there's also guppy patrol <laughs> and uh, salmon squad and uh, classic classic science fiction novels by Theodore Sturgeon and. Uh, you know, there's a movie called Cop Out, but no one ever talks about Trout Out. <laughs> it would be Cod Out. Oh. 
You gotta, you gotta reach deep for the puns, man. Yeah. If you're still listening to the sequel cast, <laughs> you're best friend. <laughs> not, uh, not fish and, fish and chips, fish and cops. <laughs> Actually, I would, I would like to see fish and chips with, uh, with, uh, Eric. Oh, there Estrada you go. Yeah. Eric Estrada. And Jaws. They can team up. Or, 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 no, no, fish, fish and chips would be, uh, it would be air. It would be, uh, Abe Vigoda and Eric Estrada. Is Abe Vigoda still alive? I don't think so, but I'm going to check. Abe Vigoda. Boom. I think if I was, Abe... to, do like, if I was to do a fish movie, it would be called. Um... No, he's alive. Oh, okay. He still has occasional Conan appearance. Um, if I was to do a fish thing, I would call it uh I would call it shark shark. Shark shark. I heard this from a really good film podcast called Film Junk. They were saying, you know, like in the seventies, there was an unauthorized arcade game based off of Jaws that they, originally they tried to get the right to do Jaws, but they couldn't do it. So instead, they titled their game Shark Jaws in okay. 1975 and had Sh shark in really small letters and jaws in big titles in big letters. Clever. Yep. Actually, you know, you know what I would do? I would call it uh, – I would completely call it uh, – call it a sh Shark Jaws colon Jaws of the Shark. <laughs> That would be that will be my unauthorized novel adaptation of the video game. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, one last thing to wrap up this episode: we had a listener wanting us to talk about the Jaws video game for a minute. And one more thing, okay? So, um, have you ever played a Jaws video game? Yes, I played the original uh, NES Jaws game, which actually. <laughs> Kind, it's ridiculously simple, but kind of fun, if only because when you're fla when you're moving around on the boat with like the shark detector, hearing that bing, bing builds so much tension. Yeah, you're like a little guy that's trying to hunt down Jaws the shark. Well, they never give the shark a name. It's just the shark. It's, it's, it's the shark. But I like to think his name is Jaws. And you kind of gain experience points by gathering seashells and buying better equipment. But Jaws the Shark, Jaws the Shark is always a threat. So, um, I did a review of a PlayStation 2 video game back for a website, uh, a video game magazine website called Played to Death, which sadly isn't around anymore. Uh, the game was just called Jaws, I believe. And it's like Grand Theft Auto with a shark. And it starts off like the movie Jaws 3D, which I'll talk about in a few weeks, where, like, Jaws is at SeaWorld and he breaks loose. And it's kind of an open... Instead of an open world game, it's like an open ocean game. But Though, the controls by, are shit. It, it's bad. Although by starting with Jaws 3, they got nowhere to go but up. Even then, it's, like, terrible. Like, it, it's an okay idea, but it's not... It's not bloody enough. If the controls and the camera would have been okay, it might have been like, hey, this is an okay rental. But aside from the licensed music, it's um, not that good. They did, I think, a Nintendo DS game not so long ago. 
As far as like spin-off games loosely based on Jaws, I really liked an Intellivision game called Shark Shark. <laughs> where you um you start as a small fish, you keep on eating little fish and get bigger and bigger, and the bigger you get, the bigger fishes you can eat. But the shark is always the greatest threat. It's uh, pretty, pretty cool. So, all right. This has been bonus content for the sequel cast. Yes, tune in next week for Jaws 2. Go to the website. Jaws! Get away from me, Jaws! You got it, Jaws! Don't you me as I am. You took me.